watchers in the fourth dimension. Trapped like this, like a sponge beneath the sea. You should have taken them and got your refund, man. I thought you were a Scotsman. The hymn of the plants. I composed it myself. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. This episode, we are finally getting round to our Season 13 retrospective, which, to our listeners, this will follow on a couple of weeks after the Seeds of Doom, but for us it's been since January, and we're recording this in July, so it's been quite a gap. So we'll be covering the season with the usual blend of awards, qualitative measures and metrics, and finally questions from our followers on social media. Now, we would normally stop and do the mail at this point, but since we're just coming back from hiatus now, we won't be picking that up for another few episodes. But as a reminder, we really do love hearing all of your feedback, comments, thoughts and questions, and we'll be getting back to reading out as many of them as possible. So you can reach us on Facebook, Twitter or X or whatever the fuck is called this week and Instagram at at Watchers4D or via email at Watchers4D at gmail.com. We would dearly, dearly love to hear from you, so please do leave us a message. Anyway, getting back to the season retrospective, a very quick note before we start. Obviously, Don was with us for the entirety of this season, but we're not going to try and guess what he would have said for the awards. But when it comes to reviewing our metrics and scores, we will talk about Don's scores since that's definitive information that we have from him, and it feeds into all of our averages. So we're going to dive right in with our end of season awards. And as is our custom, we will answer in reverse alphabetical order. So Riley goes first, followed by Julie, and finally myself. And with that, the first category is best and worst stories. And as a reminder, the options here are Terror of the Zygons, Planet of Evil, Pyramids of Mars, The Android Invasion, The Brain of Morbius, and The Seeds of Doom. Riley, over to you. It's got to be the brain of Morbius for me, and no question. I mean, you knew that that's what I was going to say. I love it. We have a horror movie backbone, plus the sisterhood of Karn, and my boy Kondo. Love everything about it. It is wonderful. Worst story is Planet of Evil. It is also horror-based, but with a script that has no idea what it wants to do, and it's just poorly executed. But I do appreciate the ridiculousness of Anti-Man. This anti-man is absurd. Absurd is the right term for that. Yes. All right, Julie, what have you got? You gotta know this. The best is Terror of the Zygons. I adored Terror of the Zygons. And when I rewatched it, yep, I still adore Terror of the Zygons. I will say that the Brain of Morbius was my runner-up. So don't be too harsh on me, everybody. The worst is Planet of Evil. We all know this. I don't want to go into all the reasons why, because guess what? A lot of my worst moments of worst things come from that. You'll hear more later. (laughs) The really fun thing about being me is (laughs) I have the scores that we all gave on a spreadsheet, and I can see what all of us gave everything as we're doing this. And Julie, we'll come back to your scores, but but let me tell you, you rated a different story higher. I know. Zygons. And I'm going to do the same thing. My highest rated is not the one that I'm going to choose as my favorite. And I'm going to pick Pyramids of Mars. And the reason for that is just the huge amount of nostalgia. When I think of season 13, that's the story that always enters my mind first. And I know, ostensibly, there are better stories than it this season, but it's just so iconic in my head. So as my favorite story, that's what I'm picking. 
as my least favourite. Do I really need to say it? <laughs> it's Planet of Evil. I guess I do. Again, same reasons. It's just incoherent. It's poorly directed. The design was questionable. There are times when yes. we can see the seams in the walls, which, it, <laughs> come on, come on, y'all. I'm with everyone else. I think Planet of Evil is unquestionably the least favourite of the podcast. All right, moving on. Our next category is best and worst moment. And Riley, we will once again lead with you. All right. So best moment is tough, honestly, because there's so many moments that stick into my mind from the season. That could be either from being that they're really great or because they're just so damn funny because of how silly they were. So the silly one I do want to mention is Harrison Chase forcing everyone to listen to his new synth album. <laughs> that, is, that is one right there that really sticks out. Also notice that Namine playing the organ in periods of Mars and the organ still keeps playing after he's stopped playing it also up there. But clearly the best one is Harry getting capped. Bat, bat, bat. That one right there. Harry getting shot. Oh, so good. Worst moment, I'm going to say the ending on a freeze frame in Planet of Evil at the end of episode two. Why? <laughs> but really, why? Please don't ever do that again. It's so poor. Okay, Julie, let's move on to you. All right. Those of you who have been keeping track, I'm sure a lot of you know one of my favorite moments is when Zygon Harry is hiding out in that barn in between haystacks and goes to attack Sarah Jane. Oh, the lighting, the music, the atmosphere of it. It's just all so good. So, so good. And it's, again, my favorite Harry story is a story when, oh, it's actually not Harry. <laughs> <laughs> and my worst moment is anytime someone died in the planet of evil. <laughs> I don't know if you all remember this. Oh, I remember. Anytime someone died, I was they were phoning it in. They were stretching <laughs> or they were just like, ah, I don't know what's happening. Okay. Yeah, we all get it. Real community theater time for those. Yes. Very, very much. And then also just that realization that both Benton and the Brigadier are going to be done. So not an exact moment in the episodes, but just coming to that realization made me very sad. Yeah, poor Julie. I know you're going to miss Benton like there's no tomorrow. Well, I think I'm with you, Julie, on the best moment of Zygon Harry attacking Sarah, because that is directed like it's straight out of a horror movie. It is just so well done. And we've had Harry for over a season at this point. And so it's very easy to kind of see him as friendly idiot Harry. <laughs> and to actually take that and make the character extremely menacing really takes some talent from the director and he manages it. My worst moment is actually not from Planet of Evil, believe it or not. Shocking. But is from the android invasion with the eye patch revelation. <laughs> oh. I know there are people who've tried to justify it. I think we even received some comments around it at the time, but it's just it's just so shockingly poor to me. It's such a major plot hole. I mean, does the guy never take it off to shower? Come on. Maybe he's disgusting and doesn't shower, Maybe. but I don't buy it. And I think that's just a spectacularly poor plot hole. 
Okay, next up we have best lead actor. And we only really have two choices here because the requirement is being in more than half the stories of the season or being introduced as an intended regular, which gives us Tom Baker as the Doctor and Elizabeth Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith. So, Riley, which of that duo do you have? It's kind of unfair to either of them to just select one. I'm pretty sure that I have given Sladen the nod before in one of our retrospectives. So I'm going to go with Baker this time. He's just absolutely killing it. I can understand at this point why for the show, at least going up until New Who or Maybe, and there's still people that believe this today. I can see completely why some people say, like, he is the definitive doctor. I can absolutely see that. And I think it's all about Tom Baker. And that's why. Yeah. Julie. All right. Well, I'll give Elizabeth Sladen some love here. One thing that helps with that is it took me a while to recall season 12, but I do recall being very annoyed with how they were treating Sarah Jane. And so I am much happier with how. Sarah's been portrayed this time. They got back to some of her roots as being a reporter. She's been able to give a lot of sympathy to a lot of the characters. She's not a damsel in distress every single time. So I've really enjoyed that. The other thing for me is that the doctor was really moody this season. And that's not my favorite. That's just not what I want. (laughs) So that's why I'm going with Sarah Jane. And from my perspective, I think it's so, so difficult to pick them at this point. They are such an incredible team. Picking one without the other is difficult. And part of me wanted to pick Elizabeth Sladen so that we weren't falling into the pattern of the two guys picking Tom Baker (laughs) and and the lady picking Elizabeth Sladen. But... But you're going to do it anyway. I am. I am. Because I think this is the season that Tom has really, really settled into the role and made it his own. And he's just so good. He is the doctor at this point, And I'm kind of thinking John who? Oh. I think for that reason, for me, it's got to be Tom Baker. He's wonderful. All right. Our next category is best and worst supporting actor. And we did come up with some nominations at the time, but we are welcome to go outside of them. But For Best Supporting Actor, ones we specifically highlighted as we were going through the season, and I actually took note of this, was John Woodnut as both the Duke of Forgill and Broton, and Lilius Walker as Sister Lamont, both in Terror of the Zygons, and then Philip Maddock as Solon, and Cynthia Grenville as Marin, both in The Brain of Morbius. And for Worst Supporting Actor, we called out, surprise, surprise, two characters from Planet of Evil, (laughs) <laughs> Terence Brock as Bronn and Prentice Hancock as Salomar. We're not bound by those, but those right. were ones we did very much highlight at the time. Riley, best and worst for you. I'm sticking with our nominations. Best Supporting Actor, Lilius Walker as Sister Lamont. Absolutely terrifying. Chilling. Probably the scariest thing in the entire season. <laughs> uh, just stunning. She was so good. So yes. good. This one was not nominated. I want to give a special shout to Michael Spice for the voice of Morbius, who I would like to think inspired the voice of Skeletor. Now, <laughs> for worst supporting actor, I will go with Prentice Hancock as Salomar or Saladbar. Maybe it's because we just feel burned out on this type of character being on the show so often in the past. But this particular performance to me really just goes for it. And what it is, is annoying. And my notes from the serial, I literally put down, 
salad bar, geez, man, give it a rest. So those are my picks. And I think those are both very, very solid picks. Julie, I'm curious as to how much crossover there's going to be here. I actually went a different route here, and I want to apologize to everyone because I have not chosen one person. Of course you haven't. I know. (laughs) You have to know that this is how I do things. So as we've discussed, there aren't a lot of women around, but I have to say, when they have them, they are amazing. So I'm actually doing a call out to three of our ladies, because there's Lily S. Walker, obviously, as a nurse, Cynthia Grenville, as Marin, and Sylvia Coleridge as Amelia Duca. Oh, yeah. In the Seas of Doom. Yeah. All of them in the different types of roles that they had were just fantastic. So, yes, okay, Hinchcliffe and Holmes. I don't understand how to write for women. I don't know how we can bring them in and blah, blah, blah. But when you bring them in, at least you make them so good. Who have you got for worst? Oh, worst is the one that I nominated. Terrence Brock is Braun. He was the, I'm going to stretch and die. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's it. And then for me, I've got to go with Mr. Welsh Heath himself for best supporting actor. (laughs) Philip Maddock is superb. He plays that character with just the right amount of charisma balanced with being totally unhinged. The point where he's welcoming the doctor and Sarah in and being very friendly, very affable. And then he suddenly looks at the doctor and goes, oh, what a magnificent head. (laughs) The whole time he plays it just the right level of unhinged without going hammy. And I absolutely adore that. As for worst supporting actor, once again, I'm with Team Riley here. It's Prentice Hancock as Salomar, as someone who doesn't listen, is angry at everyone And it's just a dick. (laughs) We've seen that character over and over again. And Prentice Hancock was playing basically the same character he was in Planet of the Daleks. And come on, dude. If you're going to be typecast in a certain role, make it someone who's actually a good character and not (laughs) this piece of shit. (laughs) That takes us on to our next category, which is best and worst villains. And I'm going to call out the nominations here. So we have Broton and the Zygons for Terror of the Zygons. Antimatter itself as a broad concept, which is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and or Salomar and or Sorensen, Planet of Evil. Sutek the Destroyer, Pyramids of Mars. Stigron and or Chidaki in the Android Invasion. Morbius and or Solon in The Brain of Morbius. And then finally, the Crinoid and or Harrison Chase and or Scorby in The Seeds of Doom. Riley, it's open for you. Best villain, obviously, Morbius and Solon, because Solon is wonderful how he hilariously manipulates Kondo, and Morbius because he looks absolutely awesome. Love that design and the hilarious voice that goes with it. Worst villain, Stigaron and Chitagi, Chidaki, whatever the hell you want to call them. The crawls look like a clay ashtray made by a child. But worst of all, they are boring, which is the worst thing a villain can be. And they also, they had like that bickering. And as you mentioned before, the whole eye patch thing, it's just, uh, you know, say what you will about the plan of evil. At least they were memorable. You definitely won't forget them. But the crawls, I just thought they were just so generic. Difficult to disagree. Julie. So some of this might come as a surprise, but I really enjoyed Harrison Chase and Scorby. Yeah, no. 
they were really chase was batshit crazy yeah yeah insane to the nth degree and it's like okay he's the (laughs) anti-vegan and basically it should be him and poison ivy should go get together and do their thing because she would love him and then scorby while he was a textbook mercenary dude he did it so well so so well those are going to be my favorites and then the worst anthony is going to hate me for it Uh because i don't like sutek the destroyer Uh (laughs) i just don't think the story went the right way of trying to explain just how terrifying and just how destructive and what he's going to do and it also felt like a normal innovation it's like i want to rule because i can great thanks that's what all (laughs) like god level people do that's so lovely thank you move on that's my thought on that although i do understand the crawls that they're like right under there as well (laughs) and that brings it back around to me and honestly my heart wants to say sutek the destroyer for best villain but i do recognize he's kind of overpowered he is literally a god (laughs) yeah and julie you actually raise a good point because while the doctor is clearly terrified of him and his potential destructive power throughout the story we saw the exact same thing from the doctor in the episode before with him being terrified of the potential destructive power of bringing antimatter into our universe and two stories in a row it kind of lessens the impact of sutek so well, there's that nostalgic part of my brain that really loves that glorious voice that Gabriel <laughs> Wolf has. I think I have to go for the Riley path with Morbius and Solon because both are just spectacular. I mean, I've already talked about why I love Philip Maddock as Solon and Morbius. Yes, that Frankenstein body, that so crazy cool. voice, the idea that he's a time lord from the old times who is batshit insane and kind of evil just as concepts i love those it's funny you say that because as i think of these things more and more and as i'm trying to recall what i even scored things back in the day i totally get it because a lot of these things are higher level of terrifying because he's also kind of terrified of morbius because morbius was an ex-time lord who was trying to also take over so that's what this whole season has been about is everyone taking over everything now that I think about it, but I love the brain. And <laughs> yeah, the brain Don, is great. I'm going to say Don would love it. Brains and jars. Brains and jars. Can't get enough of them. <laughs> and then last but not least, again, I'm with Riley on this. My least favorite, Stigron and Shidaki. Yeah, just Fair. they're very forgettable, very disappointing, hard to care about them. The concept, the android invasion itself, yes. actually a pretty good concept, but the villains they put behind it were just kind of shit. Yep. <laughs> And with best and worst villain out of the way, we are moving on to best director as well as the Dickie, or as it's fully known, the Richard Martin Award for worst director. And our nominations this season are Douglas Camfield for Terror of the Zygons and the Seeds of Doom, David Maloney for Planet of Evil, Paddy Russell for Pyramids of Mars, Barry Letts for The Android Invasion, and Christopher Barry for The Brain of Morbius, and Riley. Over to you, my friend. I'm not going to make any surprises here. <laughs> you know where I'm going. Best director, Christopher Barry, Brandon Morbius. The whole thing just perfectly gives off the feel of a classic gothic horror film. And it really does also does a great job of 
making you really feel a sense of space, you know, between where the sister heard of Karn hangs out. There's multiple locations within, I would guess, our gothic castle slash laboratory. And then also there's some in-between like location shots too. It's just, you really get a full sense of the place and it's just lovely to look at. Looks wonderful. Well shot. And of course the Dickie goes to Dave Maloney, Plane of Evil. <laughs> there was a lot of potential in the story, but there's a failure of execution, and then, as we talked about before, halfway through the story, it decides it wants to go somewhere else, and it just seems completely misguided. The mood setting is just poor. And then, of course, the whole transformation into Anti-Man, that entire editing scene, was <laughs> just bonkers crazy and not in a good way. So those are my choices. Disco Anti-Man. Yes, Disco Anti-Man. Okay, Julie, who've you got for these two? Best director, Dougie. My man, Dougie. So Douglas Canfield for primarily Terror of the Zygons, but I do think there's a lot of good in the Seeds of Doom as well. Yeah. He has a better grasp, I think, for CSO techniques than some of the others do with having giant, giant crinoid taking over that whole estate, I'll say. But again, just the shots that he had with Harry attacking, the going down into the spaceship, oh, the spaceship design and his like close ups and things of the actual Zygons on their ship and focusing on all of that was uh, so good. So, so good. And of course, the Dickie goes to David Maloney. The things I'll talk about is the weird close ups. I think that's what you're referring to during that <laughs> whole transformation scene of here's an elbow, here's an eyeball. <laughs> Okay, those are really great things to focus on. Thank you. And then while the forest, jungle, whatever you want to call it, that design itself was great. When the Doctor and Sarah Jane are in there, you can't see their faces. <laughs> and they're having these big, deep conversations. I'm like, I wish I could see their facial expressions. I think that the directors of Game of Thrones watched this <laughs> before they filmed their final battle. Wow. And also, you're the director. Get your actors to act when they die. Please, thank you. <laughs> well, as it comes to me, I'm actually going to follow Julie rather than Riley this time. I think the best director this season, I have to give it to Douglas Canfield. Terror of the Zygons. Julie, you hit that one absolutely on the head. Phenomenal. Seeds of Doom. There are a few questionable choices there. The blanket as a crinoid cliffhanger was mm -hmm. a little questionable, but <laughs> otherwise very solid to have Dougie for what's effectively the final unit story as well, given that he directed the first one with the invasion. And I think I would feel bad if I didn't give the best director award to Dougie for his final two stories on the oh, show. There, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Sorry, Julie. I'm losing Benton and I'm losing Dougie. Yep. Yep. That's not good, guys. <laughs> and I'm giving the dicky to David Maloney as well. <laughs> and I'm not going to go into it. You two have already said everything that needs to be said about Planet of Evil and why the dicky is going to David Maloney. We are unanimous. A unanimous dicky. A unanimous dicky. Yes. <laughs> How many of those have we given? I would have to go and check. I don't actually keep track of that, <laughs> surprisingly. Okay, the next one is a new award that we have come up in memory of our co-conspirator and much-missed friend, Don. And so we have created the Don Smith Award for Unnecessary Fan Wank, because he did get so annoyed by it. <laughs> and the idea here is anything that just comes across as kind of unnecessary and egregious is fair game. 
there will be some seasons where this is more relevant than others. There are probably only <laughs> one, maybe two things that really apply this season, but... I will hand it over to Riley for your nomination for this. I'm sure I'm stealing everyone's thunder on this one. and It's so clearly the vision of previous incarnations of the Doctor in the brain of Morbius. Yep. That right there, that was something that's really set him off. And I think I'm going to try my best here, and I know I'll not do it justice, but I'm pretty sure that that one received a, <clears throat> who cares? Yep. That was, I think, the reaction from Don. Yes. yes. And we're not going to go too deep into this because we do have a couple of questions on that from our friends on social media. So we will come back to some of the detail around this later in the episode. Julie, are you going to come up with something different? No, I think that was the main one. I've, I re-listened to some of our episodes and I loved it because he has a hold on, hold on, hold on, <laughs> because we like tried to like get past it and he wouldn't let us. So it had to be that. And I agree. There are a couple of other things we could go for here. The idea of introducing Morbius as a Time Lord from the early days of Gallifrey in history is something we could go for. But given that this comes back and gets abused in New Who, I think it's got to be this. Yeah. And leaving that behind in the knowledge, we will come back to that later in the show. We're going to do our last couple of categories, the best and worst use of music and Riley. Through the season, we had mentioned some moments that we really enjoyed, and I went back to the one that I originally nominated from the Tear of the Zygons. That's when Sarah Jane goes down the secret passage of the Zygon ship from the manor, I guess. And that was the one for me because it just perfectly gave that classic moment that happens like in so many like mysteries or Scooby-Doo episodes <laughs> or horror films where you find the secret passage and there is that perfect balance of creepiness combined with a little bit of playful curiosity. And I think the music at that moment really hit that on the head. And also, I love me some theremin, which I'm pretty sure that's what they used in that. And the worst use of music? Worst use of music. Oh, that one is tough. Honestly, I think you could just put it on how completely empty and unmemorable the music is for Planet of Evil. And I know I keep piling on it, but I think my problem with that serial so much is, like I mentioned before, it's that there's something there. There's actually a good kernel of an idea there, and it just is completely wasted. Well, again, basically it's the, you had a story about this antimatter thing, and then you had this Jekyll and Hyde thing. Why in the world did you combine them? Yeah, where are you going? Makes no sense. I think they got scared. They just felt like we can't do an entire serial where the villain or the antagonist is practically abstract. So we had to put up a person, put them in goofy makeup. Yep. All right, Julie, what have you got? One of the ones I nominated is when Sarah Jane is chasing after Harry. Excellent use of flute and clarinet in such a manner that you normally don't get in that kind of a, a chase sequence but it somehow works so well. Part of it is running around the countryside. It really helps kind of bring that mood in. But I will have to say, I did have a runner up and it was chasing down the yokel theme. Yes, awesome. I'm glad <laughs> somebody brought it up. It's in ours. It's so funny. We oftentimes like to make fun of the yokel, but man, when you highlight them in certain ways, oh, it's so good. So, so good. We really need to put together a YouTube compilation of all the yokels from Classic Who. <laughs> Just a montage. Outstanding. <laughs> Be wonderful. 
And then the worst is another one that I harped on a lot was the overuse of what I believe is the Viper Slap. I'm sure some person who's more a percussionist than I am might tell me otherwise. It was used in the Pyramids of Mars and it was just overused and it just annoyed me so much. So I guess what you're saying that it didn't slap? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. And that leads us to me. And I think I'm also going to go with a moment from Pyramids of Mars for best use of music. And that is Namin playing the organ. (laughs) And then he stops, but the organ continues as the incidental music, which I think is just... Amazing. It's a player piano organ, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. That organ is amazing. I can understand that. Yes. Although the chasing down the yokel theme, that's up there as well. That does slap. That does. And then for worse, Julie, I'm 100% with you. The overuse of the vibra slap. It can be very effective when used sparingly, but that was, I think, a little bit of an error. Whether that comes under the incidental music or the special sounds, I think the special sounds on this were Dick Mills, probably. I think that was a questionable decision. Okay, and that wraps up our awards. We're going to take a quick look back at our scores across the season, and I'm going to pick on Julie and start with you. I know. I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah, because you gave The Brain of Morbius a whopping 10 out of 10. I did. And you gave Terror of the Zygons a nine and a half. You want to know why I gave it a nine and a half? Why? The Scarison. (laughs) And I think there was a couple of plot choices with how did he get to where he was going, the Duke of Argyll, when he, well, the Zygon, Broton. So there were just a couple of things that I think needed to be tightened up with what they were trying to accomplish. So it didn't quite get to the 9.5, but the Brain of Morbius, it does actually hit the nail on the head of what it was trying to execute on and everyone does it flawlessly. I just enjoy Terror of the Zygons more, even though it has flaws. That's fair. Yeah. You also gave an eight to the Seeds of Doom, six and a half, which I think is low on the Pyramids of Mars, (laughs) five and a half on the Android Invasion, and your lowest score was five for Planet of Evil. Yes. Maybe we're being too harsh. I mean, five... It's not a terrible score. I mean, I always think that with us, like a six or a seven is considered average and below that is poor. But we've given out threes before. No, he's specifically calling out the pyramids of Mars. Uh, Yeah, pyramids of Mars is kind of low. I mean, I also just want to do it so that I can get all the hate mail of all the fans (laughs) who are like, but that's one of the best episodes. Well, you're wrong. (laughs) Julie is making a distinct play to go from the audience favorite to the (laughs) pantomime villain. That's right. We're doing the heel turn here. It's classic. (laughs) Okay, Riley, let's go with you next because you gave the Brain of Morbius nine and a half. I still am teetering with a 10, but it's set in stone now. You can't go back into the records and change it. It's impossible. Forever set in stone. Yep. But after that, you gave Terror of the Zygons eight and a half. Mm-hmm. Pyramids of Mars an eight. Yep. Seeds of Doom, six and a half. Mm-hmm. The Android Invasion, a five. Yep. And Planet of Evil, a three and a half. I stand by all of that. I <laughs> still feel the exact same way. <laughs> And your three and a half was the lowest score anyone gave to anything this season. (laughs) Wow. I can be quite cruel. (laughs) I'm going to do myself next and we'll touch on Don last. So I gave Terror of the Zygons nine and a half. I gave the same score to the Brain of Morbius. 
So for me, they were both up there. The Seeds of Doom got a nine from me, which was kind of high. Wow. Pyramids of Mars, eight and a half. So Pyramids of Mars was actually my fourth based on scoring, but all four of those are really high. Android Invasion slips down to a six, and Planet of Evil is a four and a half from me. Now, Don, I do want to say his season average, and I'm going to come back to everyone's averages in a second, was the highest average he'd ever got for a season. Mm, Whoa. Yeah. So I'm glad we got to do the full season with him mm-hmm. because his average was eight for this Whoa. season. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So the scores that comprise that, the brain of Morbius, he gave a 10. Mm-hmm. Terror of the Zygons and Seeds of Doom, nine. Pyramids of Mars, an eight. The Android Invasion, a seven. And Planet of Evil, a five. And that all averages out to an eight. When we average all of our scores, my average was 7.83. Don was an eight. Julie, 7.42. And then Riley, I think you were the one who liked this season the least because your average was 6.83. But that gives us an average for all of us of 7.52. And just to put that in perspective, that is actually the highest average we have had since season nine, which had an average of 7.68 and the second highest of all time. Whoa. So this was a really solid season for all of us. And Riley, just to put that in perspective for you, Mm -hmm. season two scored higher, as did seasons eight and nine. But in general, you're the harshest of us. Ah, I said, do not cross (laughs) me, Doctor Who writers. It's so funny because there's been a lot of times when I seem harsher than some others. We all know that Anthony, you're going to rate it the highest. Yeah, because I love it all. (laughs) I actually keep an eye on who is batting over and under the average each season. (laughs) And there have only been two seasons where I have been under the average. Whereas, Riley, you have been the most consistently under. You've only had three seasons over the average. Wow. (laughs) What are we giving out trading cards to people with our averages on the back? I know. I'm a stats nerd, and this was something Don always used to get so mad about. He used to hate when I dedicated time to this. Uh Uh-oh, now we're going to get it all the time. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. We need we need to reel him in. All right. So I'm going to very quickly touch on our metrics. Over the course of the season, <laughs> we added 14 and a half points to the camp count, bringing our total Doctor Who camp count up to 142.5. Damn, it's only 142. Okay. We can give out more points next season, potentially. I'll explain later. We had zero incidences that I'll explain later this season. Quarry, quarry. We had three quarries, bringing our total across the show up to 22. Strangely, for a fourth Doctor season, zero instances of Jelly Babies. We're stagnant to seven overall for that. And then the Philip Hinchcliffe women count, which we give to non-regular female characters with a speaking part. Any guesses as to how many we had across the entire season? Four. Five. You are spot on, Riley. Oh, Oh. yeah. Five. And two of those were in the brain of Morbius. Yep, that's it. Ah. <laughs> in a season of six stories, we had two stories that did not have there a single go. woman other than Sarah in a speaking role. We can't evenly spread those out. <laughs> well, we had the sisterhood. Right. Obviously, yes. there had to be at least two in that. Yep. <laughs> we can just get them all in just that one episode, just all those parts in the sisterhood <laughs> of Karn, so we don't have to worry about the rest of them. That was the production meeting for the season. <laughs> so across all of Philip's stories so far, we have had seven 
women <laughs> with speaking parts. Hey, across you know ten what? stories. I know, but for this season, I know. I think that's growth right there. I think that's what you call that, right? <laughs> Do you remember when I counted in one serial how many men had speaking lines and how many women did? Yes, yes, I remember that. It didn't end well. <laughs> no, no, it didn't. So we've got six stories again next season, which is Philip Hinchcliffe's last season. Are we doing over-under bets on this? I mean, we can, but I wasn't <laughs> going to. But I was going to say, you know, it'll be interesting when we do this again at the end of next season, see where that lands. I say it's going to be seven. That's a bold, bold pick. I'm going with seven. That's bold right there. That is bold. Okay, that rounds out our metrics. I apologize for going a bit over the top there, but the person who reels me in is normally Don. So <laughs> let's move on to our questions from social media. And I have done my best to categorize these. So we have some general questions around the season. And we will start with Keith Burton, who says, and then asks, Received wisdom is that season 13 is considered one of the high points of all Doctor Who. Many longtime fans maintain that it's the best season in the show's entire history. Tom Baker now owns the role, the relationship between the Doctor and Sarah is so obviously a close one, and we have a producer and script editor at the top of their game. Watching it yourselves, how do you rate it as a season in comparison to 1 through 12, and can you see why the stories remain memorable and popular nearly half a century later? Well, I think Anthony just gave out my metrics. I think I, it's the fourth best one for me, right? <laughs> no. Actually, looking back at this, reviewing my notes from all the previous seasons, I can totally understand why people consider this as one of the best seasons for the show. I know that from the metrics, I may have rated it lower than others, but I can completely see that. I can see how people can feel that way because those stories, some of them are very, very good. I just, maybe they just didn't necessarily hit with me as well as they did with most people. Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind is during Pertwee's era, everything was more consistent. So there weren't these really bad stories. So it just so happens for this particular season, we had a really crappy story and one meh story that drove the numbers down. So that's one thing to keep in mind. This isn't as consistent as I would say some of John Pertwee's seasons, but man, there were some good seasons. I gave my first 10. It's taken me this long to give my first 10. So it's one of those situations where I totally get it. I think I find it funny that the things I think are better than others are not in line with what normal fandom thinks. But I do really understand why people would consider this as one of the highest points of Doctor Who. And I think there's an element to some extent of rose-tinted glasses around some of this season. We specifically called out Planet of Evil as the low point and found it extremely disappointing. I think I might have mentioned it on a previous podcast episode, but as I was plugging the podcast on social media and made some comments about it not being a great story, <laughs> someone accused me of blasphemy. Blasphemy. <laughs> that was the exact word, blasphemy. You will not be allowed into the church of Doctor Who. <laughs> Blasphemer. But Julie, you made the exact point I was thinking of, that Pertwee's, at least his seasons with Joe were extremely, extremely consistent. Mm -hmm. We averaged around seven to eight consistently from, I think, the Claws of Axos through to the Green Death, with only a couple of stories tanking below that. Whereas this, as you said, one story that we really didn't like and one that was kind of meh to us, but 
the high points were incredibly high. Brain of Morbius, for us, is the best story based on our score that we've seen so far, which is insane. (laughs) This season, we added both the Brain of Morbius and the Terror of the Zygons to our top five scores. Yeah, wow. Since we started this. Brain of Morbius comes in at number one, followed by The Mind Robber, number two, Enemy of the World, number three, The Demons and Terror of the Zygons tied at fourth. Oh, wait, Enemy of the World, The Demons and Zygons tied for, I guess, joint third. That's impressive. You know, that says something about these stories. All right. The next question comes from the Instagram user, Eve is better than you. What? (laughs) Sorry, Riley, but it's true. She is. Are there any elements from previous eras that you wish would have stayed for season 13? Every era should be its own thing, really. Part of the show is about change, so I can understand wanting to hold on to a few things, but maybe just do callbacks or just have one episode where you bring it back, but maybe it should just be all on its own because that's how my mind helps to like categorize these eras. You know, with the third Doctor, I think of Gurning and, and Karate Chops and ruffled shirts and when i think of the second doctor i think black and white missing episodes and troutons and hobo and and, and trouton being charming and when i think of the first doctor i also think black and white i think fever dream episodes and i think of the doctor hitting people in the back of the head with a rock those are all things that should be consistent to those time periods and it's fun to call back but i don't think we need to carry on anything unit is nice I think we could do that, but there needs to be time taken away from them as well. So, Yeah, I think we got two unit stories this season, but it might be nice if Seeds of Doom was not necessarily the swan song and maybe we got one unit story a season from now on. Yeah, that would have been good. But that's really a season 14 question, I guess. Julie, have you got anything? Not really. Again, a lot of the elements that I like of previous eras works for the people who are in those yeah. eras. And it all has to do with the relationships between the Doctor and companions and things like that. I can wax poetic about some of the other groups that I liked and how they interacted. But I'm like, but the fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane would not react in these ways. And I'm up for change. I'm also of the mindset of I wish we had had a cleaner break with Unit and that they weren't in the Seeds of Doom so that we could have just said, hey, that's done. And just leave them and not deal with Unit anymore. But that's my thing. But would you feel the same way if Benson had been in Seeds? (laughs) Silence. (laughs) I don't want to answer that, Anthony. (laughs) I will definitely plead the fifth. All right, next up, Joseph Storp says, After a season that featured many returning monsters, season 12, What did you think of this season's approach to featuring all original monsters and very few returning characters? I think original monsters are always a good idea because more often than not, in the end of stories, your monster is defeated. So they have to be disposable, which gives you a lot of narrative room and freedom. If they're returning monsters, you're going to have to find some out for them, which is really constricts you writing wise. I do wish we had more returning characters. It's just kind of fun to maybe have a two episode little arc with a character who will then like go and leave our TARDIS crew and go do something else. I enjoy that. Just short little guest stars are, are fun. I think it adds a nice dynamic. To it. For me, it all depends. This time around, we did a pretty good job. Most of the villains were pretty good villains because most of them had like, as I like to say, charisma and spades to make it work. 
obviously we had a few like stories that we didn't like so much, but I think you can make it work. But I do think, well, yes, you typically get through the one monster, then you become monster of the week. Oh, yeah. So to speak. So you don't necessarily want that either. I'm more of a, it might not even be every season, but you should bring back things like the Daleks and the Cybermen every once in a while because it does keep a longer running arc throughout the entire series. But you just don't want to do that all the time. Like if you're going to have a Dalek story, do not have a Cyberman story. We don't need both. Please don't do that. I'd rather you bring back the meddling monk. That would have been fun. I think there needs to be some mix of both so that you don't get monster of the week. I agree with that. We are moving into a period of the show where we don't have a lot of returning monsters. And I don't think it's coincidence that this is to many considered the golden era. But yeah, I think it's good to every now and then ground the show in its history and have the master or the Daleks or the Cybermen. And as you say, Julie, just not all at once. All right, Kevin Hush, what is the worst episode, not story, but specific episode of the season? So I'm just going to say that it's episode two of Planet of Evil because I can't tell you what happened in it. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be episode two, maybe episode three of Planet of Evil. It's one of those middle ones that's just so eminently forgettable. I say it's episode four. I think it's the last episode because at that point, the serial had completely shifted its focus onto the (laughs) Jekyll and Hyde story. Salabar was at his worst. (laughs) Anti-Man looked like he was in a music video for the Steve Miller band. (laughs) <laughs> and remember, it ends with the doctor acting like a DoorDash delivery driver to feed Sorensen <laughs> to the pit on the planet. I mean, just, I mean, how is that heroic? That's not heroic. It's not like doctorish. It's like sacrificing somebody to a volcano. Ah, it's just, no, no, no. So basically, we're all agreed it is an episode from Planet of Evil. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not episode yes. one. Because <laughs> yeah. episode one, there was promise, there was hope, and then they <laughs> crushed it. Okay, Daniel Wright, who is actually a very old friend of mine, we go way back, asks, what was the most ridiculous costume worn by an extra this season? And I think in general, it has to be the spaceship crew in Planet of Evil. Oh, with the shoulder pads? Yeah, the shoulder pads. Yeah. 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 Come on, why does everyone in the future have to have fucking shoulder pads? It started (laughs) a few seasons ago and they've just kept up with it. It's time to end that. There was the person in like the grass blanket as the crinoid, that one was something special. And also, I remember mentioning in Planet Evil, they were wearing like brown jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I specifically mentioned that it looked like old Biff from Back to the Future, like something he would wear. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> in general, I said I was only going to have one question per person on this, but one person came up with some very silly ones that oh, I want to ask. Yeah, we can Let's do, do silly. It. Let's do it. And this one I specifically want to challenge myself. So Beardo Beatnik, <laughs> our old friend, asks... Why is The Seeds of Doom the most boringest six-part serial of all time? And I want to immediately jump in and respond and say, Sir, have you forgotten about the space pirates? <laughs> yeah. I also would like to throw in the censorites, although Riley would disagree with me. I would. But yeah, the space pirates. Frontier in space as well. I think we struggled with the capture, escape, capture, escape, capture, escape of that. Seeds of Doom does not deserve that type of criticism. No. No. Sir. Space pirates. Done. Next up, some questions around the Doctor and Sarah, and one also on Harry. So Kieran James Evans and Austin D. Patterson ask fairly similar questions. So you have the option to take these two together. So Kieran asks, 
Thoughts on Sarah's character in this season, particularly contrasting with that in season 11? And Austin asks, in your opinion, does the infamous pairing of Sarah Jane and the Fourth Doctor live up to its legacy? I mean, real quick, I think we already touched on how the writing for Sarah Jane this season is a complete turnaround and it's amazing. The character is so well written compared to the previous season. And in regards to the pairing of the two of them, yeah, their chemistry is off the charts in this. I keep thinking back to that great physical comedy gag in Periods of the Mars where they both are walking synchronized around the corner and immediately do the turnaround and walk back. Uh, I mean, their pairing is so good. They are really at the height of their game. And I think part of the problem in season 12 with Sarah's character was she was almost put to the side by the inclusion of Harry. Yes. Yeah. And so having this be about her and the Doctor allows her to shine and allows the focus to be back on her. I was the one who nominated Elizabeth Sladen and voted her as the best lead actor. And yes, I think that she's coming to her own and I adore her. And does it live up to its legacy? Well, I do think yes, because of how they work together and all that kind of stuff. I still don't know that it's my favorite because as I look back in all the other eras and you look at the first Doctor and Vicky, beautiful. I love the two of them together. Second Doctor and Jamie, I'm a little bit... (laughs) (laughs) They're never going to better that That, one for you, Julie, are they? They're never going to better that. And then like Three and Joe is also such a wonderful pairing. So it's one of those situations where if they're saying, oh, they're really good together, great, yes. If they're saying it's the best pairing, I don't know that I can agree, but they are definitely in that top category of Doctor and Companion pairings. What I think is really interesting there, Julie, is you've effectively named one iconic companion for each Doctor. It will be very interesting when we get to the end of the fourth Doctor to see whether or not for the fourth Mm -hmm. Doctor, that companion for you is Sarah or someone else. Oh. Next up, we start to get into the silly. Hot underscore dragons, (laughs) and that's with a Z on the end, asks, Sarah Jane, OMG, what a hottie, right? Absolutely, bro. What up? (laughs) bam obviously although i am gonna say half the time i envy her wardrobe and the other half i'm like what in the hell were they thinking (laughs) yeah i actually went back when i saw this question to look at some of her wardrobe for the season and yeah it's kind of all over the place i remember one like yellow number that was just kind of odd But Mm -hmm. anyway, that's beside the point. I mean, I think it just comes back to, in general, the Doctor has had some very beautiful companions over the years, whether that's male or female. You know, Ian was a very, (laughs) very handsome man. Yes, he was. Jamie, we all know Julie's relentless crush (laughs) on Jamie. I've always been very fond of Perry, who we haven't met yet. And Julie's going to slap me when we meet Perry because she will make assumptions as to why I'm saying that. Oh, okay. But people who've seen all of Doctor Who will know what I'm talking about. But Sarah Jane's a beautiful lady. Elizabeth Sladen was a beautiful lady and was up until the day she died. So in answer, yes. Traveling on a TARDIS. I just love picking up companions because I keep getting older and they stay the same age. Oh, no. (laughs) It's like Leonardo DiCaprio all over again. (laughs) Well, I was channeling Matthew McConaughey from... Yes. Yeah. A Days and Confused. Yes. (laughs) Okay, and the last one around our companion pairings is, again, Beardo Beatnik asking, how thankful are each of you to be free of the twit ramblings of Harry Sullivan? (laughs) Okay, all right. I love making fun of (laughs) Harry. We all do. But... I 
seriously thought about this and you know what? I'm going to miss making fun of him. And maybe there's something to that. To have a character that is a punching bag. I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. Especially when we had that moment, I believe it was last season, where you saw the switch where Sarah Jane was just annoyed to hell with Harry and just started just like throwing haymakers at him left and right. And just instead of just kind of giving him his space, he was just pointing out how he was a complete idiot. That was fun. So maybe we could have done that a little bit longer. I don't know. I think if they had, there needed to be a better balance on focus. Mm -hmm. I think it could have been fun to have him stick around for a bit longer, but there needed to be more focus on Sarah and not primarily focusing on Harry. The funny thing is is that my favorite Harry stories were in this season. Because even in the android invasion, he was still really good in that too. And guess what? He wasn't acting like normal Harry. Right, right. Partially in Terror of the Zygons, he spent a good period as a Zygon, Mm -hmm. so not acting like real Harry either. But what was interesting was that did a much better job of anything in season 12 of the balance between the companions. Mm -hmm. And you had times when Sarah and Harry were paired up Mm -hmm. or Sarah and the Doctor, but actually never Harry and the Doctor. That dynamic just worked a bit better for me. I agree. All I know is that Harry will always be the Jerry from Rick and Morty of Doctor Who. (laughs) To me. I can see that. Okay, we are going to move on to some questions about Unit. And Rob Brogan says and asks, Everything is in top gear now for this season. The only missing element for me is the Brigadier in Seeds of Doom. Do you think this was a misstep or had the character of the Brigadier run its course by now? All Brig all the time is what I say. I don't care. They could have brought him out just to be the end of serials, just to like give a one-liner and a chuckle as the doctor exit, just like literally 10 second scene. And I would be happy. That's my opinion. I'm of the opinion. If you're going to have unit, you need to have the brigadier, especially because when they just are like, oh, well, he's in Geneva. Stop giving me the Geneva excuse. It's really (laughs) frustrating. And it would have at least come across better if the brigadier had been the one to say that, to be like, hey, I'm not going to be around much longer because I'm going into a different role. But we don't even get that. We just get, oh, he was in this last serial and now he's just always disappeared. That's what I don't like about it. So if you're going to have unit, have him there. If not, like I'd rather just have unit just not be around. We don't take half units here. We only take full units. <laughs> And I understand why he wasn't in the Android Invasion and the Seeds of Doom. The Terror of the Zygons was filmed as part of season 12, so he was still contracted when they contracted him for Robot. Whereas for season 13 proper, Nicholas Courtney had taken a theatre job and couldn't dedicate the time to filming Doctor Who. I still think they could have filmed a cameo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Done half a day of filming or something like that, just to have him maybe even as a phone call from an office in Geneva. Exactly. As you say, Julie, just to say, sorry, I can't be there, but I'm putting Colonel Henderson. He's my best man on this or whatever. Yeah, it would give a little bit more closure than what we Mm -hmm. got. Yeah. And we got Benson in the Android Invasion and we got Harry in the Android Invasion. That still felt like a proper unit story because you had those recurring characters. The Seeds of Doom, it was slap the unit logo on a couple of random soldiers and just tell us their unit. If we'd had Benton or Harry in the Seeds of Doom, I don't think it necessarily needed to be the Brigadier, but if we'd had one of our unit regulars in there, I think it would have read more as a proper unit story. Okay, another unit question from Paul Arthur, aka Doctor Who 60s, 70s, 80s, over on Instagram. 
and Paul asks, During this period of the show, units are slowly phased out. Instead of these characters just drifting away, what would your idea for one last massive budget-busting unit story be? Who would they be up against? Who would survive? And who would sacrifice themselves in a blaze of glory? Okay, here's my pitch. The story would be a send-off for the unit characters, so the focus is completely on them. The Doctor only comes in and out of the story when needed because they are the leads. And it finally takes place at, guess where? A peace conference in Geneva. We're actually going to go there. (laughs) Where they would be up against a new villain, which the villain would be killed off so there can be a dramatic victory despite the tragic loss of Bitten, who sacrifices himself because that's just how he is. And then like, we'll do a callback at the end when he asks the doctor to knock him out to help him cover his escape with the third doctor and the tears would just be flowing. That's my pitch. Damn, I don't think I can better that. (laughs) I didn't get as far as coming up with the whole story. All I said was Benton would be the one to go out in the blaze of glory. He would do that. That's what he would do. Yeah. See, I had been thinking... You bring Yates back one last time as a civilian (laughs) and you kill off Yates. Like you, Julie, I hadn't quite got as far as how, but you kill off Yates. If you're going to kill Yates, how about they have to sacrifice one person and all of unit takes a vote and they vote him. (laughs) Savage. (laughs) And it's funny because they were like, I thought we were voting for active unit members. They're like, no. 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 Once unit, always unit. Yes. (laughs) Okay, moving on. We have a couple of questions around the relentless fan wank. Oh, here we go. Oh boy. Peter Kane asks, The psychic battle scene in The Brain of Morbius was intended to suggest that there had been several incarnations of the Doctor prior to Hartnell. At the time of broadcast, no one would have seen the early stories for 12 years. Having seen all of the Hartnell era more recently, do you feel that this retcon can fit with Hartnell's portrayal and the information about his and Susan's backstory given on screen? I think that in Doctor Who, you can make anything mean whatever you want to in the world of imagination. So in this situation, and I believe this gets touched on in another question later on, The show is not bound by anything other than what they just happened to say recently. And since they're really nothing that can hold them down, they can go back and whatever they showed as being true two episodes, they can completely pull the rug out on. So just take it in stride. Don't feel like it needs to fit into this and that and the other thing. Just who knows? I'm not going to try to start postulating as to, oh, Morbius was suggesting that or he was trying to sabotage the doctor's brain and and, and implant these, incept these ideas into his head. Whatever. Who cares? If I'm going with just what the question is asking, do you think that it can fit? And I do think that you can make it fit. I'm not saying that's the best choice. I'm not saying that it's the most logical, but I think given what we know about them, I think you could make that argument. I don't like it, but that's what the question's asking. If you can make it fit and it feels good. (laughs) Do it. Do it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Wow, Riley. (laughs) It can fit, but I don't like it. (laughs) I always liked the idea that it was Susan and the Hartnell Doctor being the ones who left Gallifrey. And again, I prefer that. I'm just saying that it can technically fit. Right. And Robert Holmes was the master of changing continuity on a whim. And 
that's exactly what he did here. He had no plan for it. He even does something next season that is a major part of Doctor Who lore now that he introduces that kind of makes this very questionable in terms of how many lives the Doctor has. So the next question we have from Chris Shoreditch, I think fits into a bit more where I want to go with this. And Chris asks, at the time when we saw the brain of Morbius, we got all excited about possible incarnations of the Doctor pre the first Doctor. Is it possible to read anything at all into that now with what they've done to the backstory? And mm. I'm assuming don't, here don't, Chris is... Don't say his name. <laughs> Do not say his name. I'm going to have to spit on the ground to fend off that evil. I'm assuming Chris is referring to what has been done with the Timeless Child, which we obviously haven't covered in the podcast and we won't cover until sometime next decade. I've done the math, guys. It will be the 2030s by the time we get round to the 13th Doctor. Anyway, I hate it. <laughs> I could be okay with there being Doctor's before Hartnell, that lived on Gallifrey and didn't really adventure. They just were there. And that it was the Hartnell Doctor who decided that he was fed up with everything and wanted to go off and explore time and space. I would be okay with that. I also think fandom, and not just fandom, but the Doctor Who production office ignored this for around 45 fucking years. And someone decides, well, I'm just going to dig that up to finally explain it. No, leave it dead. <laughs> We've all been pretending it wasn't a thing since, you know, 1970, whatever. Why dig it up now? And then for me, it's like, well, what are we going to renumber them now? Like, what what are we going to do here? Because it's a mess now. I am not a big fan of it either. I don't even like the retconning of, oh, they just hadn't left. No, no, I'm not for that either. I will not say his name. <laughs> I didn't say his name. When we get there in the 2030s, I'm hoping there'll be a lot of good medication for being a rageaholic because <laughs> I will need it. If you want to talk about low rated seasons, wait, guys. Oh, you my got God. a decade. <laughs> yeah. And who knows? Maybe by then they will have aged well. <clears throat> we'll see. All right, let's go. Let's move on. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of our retrospective. And as always, this has been a lot of fun. We always love doing these. And in all honesty, the three of us over the last six months have had lots of conversations as to whether we should have done this without Don since he was with us through season 13. And I think we all decided ultimately it would be a good way to kind of honor him by capping off the season. So Riley, Julie, thank you both for joining me as we finally finish this season of course and by the time this goes out you all will have actually heard the episodes that we did on the brain of morbius and the seeds of doom back in january so six and a half months ago but we will be back for a new era of the show next episode where the three of us will start off season 14 with the mask of mandragora but in the meantime as always thank you so very much for listening we appreciate you and in the meantime have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Riley Shrek, Julie Philippek, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, if you can make it fit, was recorded on Wednesday the 26th of July 2023. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. 
you can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at atwatches4d. And you can also email us at watches4d at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember to finish what you started, like us, with this season.